Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, verse 30. We're coming to this passage today that at first glance may seem like one that is less significant. We looked at some incredibly powerful and wonderful texts so far in this letter to the Philippians, and as we get into the passage today, which is honestly about travel plans, we might think of it as insignificant or unnecessary for us, maybe something we would just kind of gloss over or get past in our reading, but it is definitely something we need because in the midst of the travel plans are examples for us to follow. And so stand and follow along as I read, beginning with verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing that we have of coming together to look at it hear it read publicly. We pray that you would bless that, Lord, that you would bless us to have hearts that would lean into your word. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Travel plans for Timothy and Epaphroditus. Here's the beauty of this text. Usually, familiar with Paul's writing, Paul will add these things, things like this, like travel plans at the end of his letter to whoever he's writing to. But here, for some reason, it's in the middle of the letter, and there's a point to it. Here in this text are two examples for us, two people who are living lives worthy of the gospel. Paul has written in the previous two chapters things that are necessary for us as Christians to walk the Christian life. Philippians 1.27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in the gospel. With one mind, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.28, don't be frightened in anything. Philippians 
2, 1 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And then in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he gives the example of Christ, the ultimate display of grace and humility. And then Philippians 2, 12 through 18, he continues his call to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And goes on, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And if you do, you will shine like lights in the world. And now we get to verses 19 through 30, and Paul gives flesh and blood examples of the conduct he's just called them to live. These are two men who live lives worthy of the gospel. And here's some things we can note about both of these men before getting into the individual verses. Both men are humble. We can see that from the context. They're focused on others. They're servants of Christ. They're both striving to work out their salvation with practical acts of serving and without grumbling. They love Christ and they love others. And so as we look at the text, we'll look at these two men as men that Paul puts forward for the Philippians and for us as examples to imitate and to honor. Men who we can imitate and honor. And here's something that I'm hoping that all of us will take away from this text. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are ordinary men doing ordinary things. Faithful Christian living doesn't usually look extraordinary. We may be enamored by the extraordinary. We may be drawn to the extraordinary, but when Paul says live lives worthy of the gospel, he is meaning count others more significant than yourselves. He's meaning be humble. He's meaning work out your salvation. He's meaning do all things without grumbling or disputing in your ordinary home, in your ordinary job, in your ordinary neighborhood, with your ordinary brothers and sisters in Christ. I read an illustration this week in a commentary that was originally given by a man named Fred Craddock. And it's so good and and I think so helpful and I want to share it with you. He wrote this. To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here is my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us, is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor's kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. 
Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually, giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. Timothy and Epaphroditus are living ordinary lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. So let's look at the text and see how and why we are to imitate and honor men like them. Beginning with verses 19 through 24, the example of Timothy, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Notice at the very beginning of this, Paul says, I hope in the Lord. Paul isn't presuming in his plans. He hopes in the Lord. And he lived this way. We see it in other texts, trusting God in his sovereign reign over Paul and over all things. In 1 Corinthians 4.19, Paul writes, But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. 1 Corinthians 16.7, For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Paul's hoping in the Lord to send Timothy to them. We see two things about Timothy's character that should be imitated and should be honored. First, Timothy is compassionate, and second, Timothy is faithful. He's compassionate and he's faithful. Paul says in verse 20, I have no one like him. Now, certainly we all agree Paul knows a lot of Christians, several. It's not that there aren't many candidates. There are many that he knows of. And yet, he says of Timothy, I have no one like Timothy. And so what is it about Timothy that sets him apart in this way? And what Paul says is that he's genuinely compassionate. I have no one like him, Paul says, that will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Do you know what that sounds like? Counting others more significant than yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to the interest of others. That's what, it, that's what it sounds like Timothy is walking out in his life. It was his character. And you compare that with what Paul says to, uh, concerning the others in verse 21. They, they all seek their own interests, not the interests of Christ. 
All the others are worried about themselves, worried how to please themselves, self-centered. The self-centeredness that Paul had just warned the Philippians about was exactly what he was seeing in Rome. They seek their own interests, not the interest of Christ. And two comments on that. They seek their own interests, not the interest of Christ. Notice he says, of Christ. So when Paul says earlier, look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others, he means when you do that in the body, when you're not just looking to your own interest, but you're actually looking to the interest of others, when you do that in the body of Christ, you're seeking the interest of Christ. And that's what Timothy was doing. And the second thing I would comment about that statement is a question. What would be written of us? When Paul writes of the church in Rome and what he sees there, he says they're all interested in their own interest. They all seek their own interest, not the interest of Christ. What would be written of us? If you were to evaluate Cornerstone, starting with your own response to these texts first, if I were to evaluate Cornerstone starting with my own response to this text, what would you imagine would be written? As a church, as a body, we ought to imitate the compassion of Timothy. To be set apart in how we seek not our own interests, not how to please ourselves individually, but the interest of others, the interest of Christ. I have no one like him. There's no one like him, Paul says. Genuineness of compassion. Next, Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth. What he's saying there is, Timothy has a reputation for these things. It's not just my word, Paul's saying. It's not not just me saying, hey, I need to convince you of these things. You know his worth. His proven worth. You know his character because he served with me in the gospel as a son with a father. Beautiful language. Paul loves Timothy. He trusts Timothy like a father loves a son. He was there for him, there with him, there serving him. Like a son to Paul. And we could see from what Paul says that he had proven his character to others as well. Paul trusts him completely. And what we can I think get from the text is that the body there trusted him in Philippi. They know his proven worth. We see from verses 23 and 24 that Paul's saying he's he's not able to send Timothy right away. Whatever the reason might be, we don't know, but he's saying I'm I'm not able to do that yet. But Timothy was a true friend to Paul, devoted to Paul and to serving the church. 
And Paul trusts Timothy. Trust him even to act as he would act if he were there. Timothy is an ordinary man who is compassionate and faithful. And Paul says that such a man should be imitated and honored. The second person we encounter is in verses 25 through 30, the Epaphroditus. Let me read it again. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Although Paul is unable to send Timothy immediately, he would be sending Epaphroditus, he says. Epaphroditus is likely a Gentile convert. There are wonderful things that we can see here in this text and learn about this man. Things that Paul would desire the people imitate and honor. It's clear that Paul wanted the church to welcome and honor Epaphroditus when he returned. There's no position mentioned that we know of, of Epaphroditus. He's just an ordinary man doing ordinary work for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. And yet there are five things mentioned about him that the Philippians should imitate and honor. The first thing that Paul says about him is that he's a brother. A brother a partner in the gospel, a brother in Christ. This isn't just a small thing. He is a brother to Paul, the apostle, and to the body there in Philippi. It's a miracle. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a miracle. It's something that God does through Christ in our hearts to unite us. It means that our identity has changed and we have together one heavenly Father. That we're adopted as sons and daughters of the King of the universe. And Paul's saying of this, he's making it clear in this that he cares about Epaphroditus. He loves this brother in Christ. And he's saying to the Philippians, "You, you ought to as well. You ought to welcome him that way. Second, he says he's a co-worker. Now, Paul was the apostle that everyone knew. In position and leadership, he was what we might refer to as center stage. He would never say that of himself, but certainly Paul is the one that everyone knows, everyone listens to. And here he is putting Epaphroditus right next to him. We are, we're co-workers in Christ, elevating this man, giving him the same honor he hopes the Philippian church will give to him. 
He goes on, he says he's a fellow soldier. There's a picture he's giving of the, the two of them battling together in spiritual battle together. The two had fought shoulder to shoulder in Rome. Again, language that says that Paul saw the two of them as equals on mission. And then it transitions. He's my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And then it transitions to to what he did on behalf of the Philippians. It says he's a messenger. Epaphroditus was sent with a, a mission to convey the love of the church and to bring a gift to Paul. That's why he was with Paul. The church had sent him to do that. You see that in Philippians 4.18, I've received full payment and more, I'm well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so Epaphroditus had this gift from the body in Philippi that he brings to Paul as a, as a, a thank you and we love you. And Paul is blessed not just by the gift, but by the man and by his ministry. And it goes on and says, a minister, this this word that carries the idea of priestly service. It doesn't refer to a position, but to a function. It's what the Scriptures say of all of us, that all believers are God's priests, that all believers are called to worship God through sacrificial service. And Paul says that's Epaphroditus. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The spiritual worship, that that is what... Paul is saying of Epaphroditus. He's doing that. He's walking in that. Epaphroditus was a a man, an ordinary man who should be imitated and honored, Paul's saying. Verse 26, 4, he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. This is incredible. We can see how loving and compassionate Epaphroditus is here. Selfless compassion for others, even others that aren't with him. Epaphroditus, we learn from the text, had become very sick. In fact, the next verse tells us that he almost died from whatever sickness he had. And yet, in his weakness, he isn't concerned for himself. He knew that the Philippian church had heard of his condition and his worry was for them. He's worried about them and how they are doing and how they're concerned about him and their anxiousness. Paul says, he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He's worried about their anxiety for him. That's selfless compassion. All of us have heard the expression man flu, right? 
So many ladies smiling, so many men concerned. That's not what we see here. This is a guy who's sick to the point of death, and his concern is for others. Count others more significant than yourself. Count others more significant than yourself. Look not, look not to your own interests only, but to the interest of others. Where is your heart in weakness? It is tempting, it is easy that in weakness our heart is inward focused only. Why is this happening to me? God, why aren't you hearing my prayers? Why aren't you listening? Why, why would you not change this? Why are you not responding? Woe is me. But what we, what we learn about Epaphroditus is this man who is, who is at the point of death because of sickness, his concern is not, how am I going to get better and, and get up from this bed? This feels lousy. No, his concern is, there are others who've heard about this and are concerned about me, and I, I'm anxious for them. Count others as more significant than yourselves. And Epaphroditus is an example of that. It goes on in verses 27 and 28. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul says he was so sick that he nearly died. In fact, Paul mentions the seriousness of his condition three times in these verses. And how is it that he lived? How did he make it through it? God had mercy on him. He needed God's mercy in his weakness, and God gave mercy. Mercy. What he didn't deserve. Mercy. Notice what Paul says. God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also. Why? Because... When he says sorrow upon sorrow, that I would have sorrow upon sorrow, the death of Epaphroditus would have affected Paul deeply. He would have mourned in the midst of all of his sorrows, all of the things he was struggling with, all the things he was dealing with. He loved this person, and his death would have caused him to mourn at the greatness of his loss. He genuinely loved this brother and fellow worker. I am the more eager, he says in verse 28, to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Here is why, or here's the way that Paul hopes and expects Epaphroditus to be welcomed home. We don't know the mentality of the Philippians. Maybe it's that, that they send this man off to deliver a gift, and, and it's just a guy from the church there, and, 
go and take this gift to Paul. Tell him how much we love him. And on the way, he gets sick and, and almost dies. And, and maybe there's thinking in Philippi of, okay, maybe we should have sent someone else. We didn't know he was so weak. We didn't know this was going to happen. Maybe we should have sent someone else to, on our behalf. And, and maybe his coming back would be more of an embarrassment than a joy. Whatever it is, Paul's saying, listen, I don't want you to overlook this return. I don't want you to, ne to neglect this. Honor this man. There should be joy. There should be love. There should be peace. There should be honor. Paul says he risked his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now, what does that mean? There's another place where Paul says in Colossians, I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What does that mean? Well, Paul doesn't mean there, certainly, if there's anything lacking in what Christ accomplished. Christ did everything. He, it was finished, he said, on the cross, and he meant it. So why would Paul say what is lacking? I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Or here, he, he was filling up or he risked his life to make up or fill up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Well, what was lacking in the Philippians' ministry to Paul or what Paul means in Colossians when he says filling up what is lacking in, in the afflictions of Christ? What's lacking is visibility. That's it. We know that Christ's afflictions were enough, but we don't see it in front of us. And for the Colossians, Paul could say, you can see it. You can see the afflictions of Christ in my body. And here, I can see and feel your presence through this one that you sent. They couldn't be with him physically, but Epaphroditus on their behalf was there. And this simple messenger took a gift to Paul in humble service and sacrifice. And Paul says, honor him. Now, I want to mention something here for us personally as a body in light of this text. In weeks from now, December 8th, we're going to be blessed because the Daniels, Matt and Jen Daniels, are going to be visiting from Japan. They've been missionaries there for years and will be with us in a few weeks. And we're going to give more information, but... The plan is that we're having a potluck after the service that day. And I want to encourage you with the words that we have here from Paul to implore you, honor such people. With your presence and with your joy, these are people who are struggling through things that we don't even know. Difficulties we don't know. They're likely tired. When Matt and Jen left, one of the greatest joys was to hear them say that this body loved them like no other body did. Welcomed them in. Gave open-handedly. And now Paul says our role is joyful honor. And so I want to encourage you, don't forget this text. 
and don't forget that date. Clear your schedule and come and honor them. Spend time with them. Be with them. Rejoice with them. Thank them for their service to lost people in Japan. Epaphroditus was an example for us. His near death for Paul is just an illustration, a shadow of Christ's real death for us. For Christ, there was no mercy on the cross. For Epaphroditus, God had mercy on him. But for Christ, he was crushed. He died so that we might live. We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says this, But He, Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Because of what Christ has done, we can live lives, ordinary lives worthy of the gospel. Like Timothy and Epaphroditus, in the shadow of the cross, consider others more significant than yourselves and honor others who do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. We see in this text you were merciful to Epaphroditus in his health. There's not one of us here in this room who cannot know for certain that you have been merciful to us in so many ways, whether it's through salvation, saving us, rescuing us, not giving us what we deserve in judgment and punishment, or in so many other ways in our lives that you've shown mercy And so we praise you and we thank you and we have every reason to count others more significant than ourselves. In Christ, you are the example. You made yourself nothing, taking the form of a servant and you were crushed for our iniquities. And so even as we sing of your mercy, as we hold the bread and the cup and then partake of it together, we pray that you'd help us to be people who are humble before you and humble before one another. We pray in Christ's name, amen.